Hare Krishna. From the sound effects of so many coughing vibrations throughout the audience, I can understand there is much purification taking place. I have very personal experience. One of the principles of going to a holy place of pilgrimage is tapasya. And the idea of tapasya is not just inflicting self-imposed sufferings upon ourselves. Because the way the world is, sufferings come anyway. Tapasya is to accept what is favorable for the purification of our hearts and to put aside what is unfavorable. Our tendency is to be very selective, that we like those unfavorable things that we like. And we don't, anything that's unfavorable that we don't like, or let us say, sorry. <laughs> I'll tell a story about it. But we read about how purifying it is to go on a place of pilgrimage in a holy place. And we especially become purified by our attitude. Sometimes there's crowds, sometimes there's dust, sometimes there's disease, sometimes there's crowds, sometimes the mind is restless. But if we see this as an opportunity to be purified, we become purified. And that opportunity is in this situation to have faith that if I turn to Krishna, if I take shelter of Krishna, if I immerse myself in Krishna, that is where true purification takes place. In favorable situations, and in very difficult situations. What makes it auspicious is when we turn to God with faith, 
when we humble ourselves and take shelter. And part of the process of that is our absorption. If you're sitting in a very pleasing place where everyone is so nice to you and everything you could possibly hope for materially is taking place and you chant Krishna's names, it may be just with your lips and your mind. But if suddenly you're falling off a cliff and you see the ground coming closer and closer, if you chant Krishna's names, it will probably come from the core of your heart. Because necessity brings about the opportunity of deep absorption in taking shelter. Well, a little baby child has all his little toys and he's playing so sweetly, he's probably very much distracted by the toys. But if a big giant monkey from Vrindavan jumps at him and shows his teeth and goes, then the then the child will cry for its mother. Take shelter of the mother in that moment. And the mother will come running instantly. So when we come to Vrindavan and holy places, it's good practice for life. It's because we learn lessons from the environment, from the situation, from all the grace that's empowering this place since time immemorial, from Krishna's Leela and Mahaprabhu's Leela and the Leelas of all the saints and Acharyas. And from so many devotees come here looking for shelter. But also through our experiences. As often have been repeated, Srila Prabhupada's words, we learn to see through our ears. Because through hearing, we see whatever situation comes to us in relation to the goal of life, to our purpose. Otherwise, the distractions are endless. We become so obsessed, so absorbed in the things that happen, in the circumstances. Pleasure, pain, honor, dishonor, happiness, distress, success, failure, heat, cold. These things are always coming and going. But how to process it in our consciousness in such a way 
that we see it as an opportunity to make progress toward our goal of life. Satsang, Sadhu Sangam, association with devotees coming to Harikatha as we are tonight. One of its great blessings is it helps, helps us to remember why we're here. Who am I? Who is God? What is my real purpose? What do I really want in my life? The flickering pleasures and pains? Or do we want a connection to our eternal soul? Do we want love of God, love for Krishna, the eternal reality of every person? Or do we want to just try to make an arrangement so that we're a little more comfortable today and tomorrow? So satsang is to keep us focused on what our true purpose is. And then whatever may come in our life, we connect it for that purpose. We look for the opportunity so, that's, so that it's favorable for that purpose. So when Krishna was living here in Vrindavan, he displayed such beautiful, wonderful pastimes to charm our hearts. And within those pastimes, there's so many lessons of the most essential concepts that we should apply every day. Just by absorbing ourselves in hearing the pastimes and the teachings of the Lord, we become purified because Krishna is supremely pure, pavitra. When Krishna went from the age of five to six, he entered into his Poganda Lila. And at that time in Brindaban, there was a wonderful festival where Krishna, Balaram, and their little friends of approximately the same age, they were given the care of the calves. I'm sorry, the cows. They were given care of the cows. And this festival was very special. It is called Gopastami. 
And in a few days here in Vrindavan, this, in fact, the day after the yatra is over is the day of Gopastri, where the Brijabhasis throughout all Brajadham, they give special loving offerings to the cows to celebrate Krishna as a cowherd boy. Shukadeva Goswami tells in Srimad Bhagavatam, one day, or let us say one evening when Krishna and Balaram were returning from the pastures with the cows, they were playing their flutes, and the dust from so many cows was going up in the air. And the Brijabhasis, especially the gopis, the younger gopis, they were feeling so much separation from Krishna throughout the day. For them, their relation with Krishna was mostly from a little distance, receiving his glance, his smiles, hearing his very sweet, talkative words. So they were all looking into the horizon, looking out into the pastures and the forests of Vrindavan, and then they saw the dust in the air. And most of us here were trying to run away from the dust in the air. But they were waiting all day <laughs> to see that dust in the air. It was the dust of the lotus hooves of the cows and the cowherd boys. And when they saw it, they knew that Krishna was coming. And then they heard his flute and they heard buffalo horns. And not only was Krishna playing flute, but so many of his friends used to play flutes. And they were all singing. And in Vrindavan, it is described that all walking is dancing, and all talking is singing. Music. And then Krishna, who on this particular day, knowing his devotees were so excited with anticipation and separation, he was in front. In Balaram, he went back a little to not disturb the reciprocation of Krishna and the gopis. And there they had the beautiful vision of Gopal, Govinda. His wonderful hair, which circled his lotus-like, moon-like face. It was covered with the fine powder of the dust raised by the cows. And he had peacock feather in his hair. And his friends decorated him also with many forest flowers. He was playing upon his flute and smiling.
His lotus eyes were gazing so affectionately upon each one of the gopis. And he smiled upon them. His smile was charming. His glance was beautiful. And how Krishna could gaze into the eyes and into the hearts and touching the souls of each of these gopis simultaneously, individually. And as Krishna tells in Gita, yegata mam prapadyante, that he reciprocates, he reveals himself, and he reveals his love according to how we approach him, how we surrender. So in this instance, the gopis, it describes their glance was like very thirsty bumblebees. And Krishna's smile and his beautiful eyes were like his lotus face was like the sweet honey from a lotus flower. They were drinking in his beauty. And through his glance, into their glance, they were drinking in his fullest heartfelt love. It, it pacified the long hours of the days of separation from him. Their eagerness, their anticipation, and their separation just completely opened their hearts and souls to receive Krishna's love. In this way, Krishna fully reciprocated and within each other's hearts, just through these smiles and through these glances, they were fully embracing one another. And then Krishna looked away and looked toward his parents, and they brought him home along with Balaram, and they gave him bath, and they massaged him with oils, and they gave him wonderful food and then put him to rest. And the next day, early in the morning, again they went out to serve the cows. In Vrindavan, there's a beautiful explanation of how Yashodamai, knowing that the cows were very big, and very enthusiastic, and the forest for Krishna to be all day long, she gave a nice pair of shoes to Krishna. With her own loving hands, she made these shoes. And she said, Krishna, you wear these shoes when you go to the forest all day. And Krishna revealed his heart. 
He said, I'm a servant of the cows. How can I wear shoes unless you make perfect fitting shoes for each and every one of the cows? Now there were 900,000 cows. Each one has four feet. So you can do the mathematics. So Krishna went every day barefoot. And on this particular day, by Krishna's particular arrangement, Balaram did not go with him. And the day I'm speaking about, Shukadeva Goswami tells, it was just before Krishna's seventh birthday. So it was in the summer. And it was, the sun was quite blazing hot at times. And Krishna, along with his friends, herded the cows into the forest. And they played so many games. In one sense, they were taking care of the cows. In another sense, they, the gopas when they played so many games, we explained just a few of the unlimited pastimes they would have together. It was they were so absorbed in the play, the cows kind of took care of themselves. How did they take care of themselves? Just by Krishna's love. He was taking care of each and every one of them, so each cow is thinking Krishna is personally, intimately watching over me at all times. And the cowherd boys are thinking the same thing. That is Krishna's love. That is Vrindavan. The ocean, limitless ocean, of the love of Bhagavan's heart, God's heart, is so great that everyone is thinking that whole ocean is mine. Every cow, every calf, every gopa, every gopi, every tree, every bird, every bee, everyone. Everyone is feeling Krishna's presence. So on this particular day, it was the morning, they were playing so many sweet games in the forest of Vrindavan. And Krishna especially stayed in the forest a little extra long and in the pastures because he wanted the sun to rise and get hotter and hotter so that his friends would become very thirsty. And it came to the point where all the gopas and all the cows were extremely thirsty. And Krishna brought them to a particular lake. In that lake, 
lived Kaliya. Now, usually the gopas, we always see that they're taking prasad with Krishna, or that they are drinking with Krishna. They don't want to do anything before Krishna. They'll either put Krishna first, and if Krishna wants to put them first, they will all do it together. But on this day, by Krishna's own personal arrangement, they were so thirsty, they all rushed to this lake near the river Yamuna and drank. But they didn't even drink. The river was full of poison. Every cow and every cowherd boy, as soon as they touched the water to their lips, it never even reached their mouth. They fell to the ground dead with no consciousness. Now, if some of them went first and others went second, the ones who saw the original ones die, they would have waited, they would have, what's happening here? But Krishna arranged it, though we're so thirsty that all the cows and all the cowherd boys drank all the water simultaneously, and then as soon as it touched their lips, they all died. Now, this is an extraordinary pastime. There's nothing like it in Krishna's leela. Every cow and every boy, right in front of Krishna's eyes, fell on the banks of this lake near the Yamuna with no consciousness. And when Krishna saw this, he glanced, his glance of compassion upon these, his devotees. And that glance was so full of his compassion that it brought them all back to life. Let's learn a little lesson about this thirst, how thirst can overcome even great people. The whole Srimad Bhagavatam, why was it spoken to Parikshit Maharaj? When he was a little baby in the womb of his mother, there was a Brahmastra a celestial weapon coming to kill him, and then his mother cried out for Krishna to save the child, and he actually saw Krishna come and save him. He was the grandson of Arjuna, a very great person, and he ruled his empire with so much compassion and devotion on behalf of Krishna. He was truly a saint, a Rajarshi. He was totally out of his character to be in the forest one day and become overcome with thirst, so much overcome with thirst that he went to 
a little hermitage of a rishi, Samikrishi. And the yogi was sitting in meditation, meditation on the Supreme Lord. He was in a samadhi state where he was not externally aware. And Parikshit Maharaj said, please give me some water, I'm your guest. Because according to culture, if a guest comes to your house, however simple, you at least give them some water and a sitting place and some pleasing words. So he said, please give me some water. I'm the emperor of the world. And he was so thirsty. And he became so overwhelmed that with the end of his bow, he picked up a dead snake that he happened to see there and put it on this rishi's shoulder and left. And for doing that, he was cursed to die in seven days. Overcome by thirst. In the Mahabharata, there's that very well-known story of how the Pandavas, when they were living in the forest together, each one of them, they came upon a lake. And as soon as they saw that lake, they were so thirsty. They just had to drink the water. And they heard a voice, please answer my questions before you drink this water or you will die. And they, they were so thirsty, they lost their intelligence and drank the water. And four of them died. It was only Yudhisthira who could withstand it. Srila Prabhupada quotes the great poet Vidyapati, where he describes the whole material existence as an experience of thirst. Krishna tells in Gita, from the highest planet in this material down to the lowest, they're all places of inevitable suffering. And the reason why we're bound to this suffering is because of our thirst for pleasure. Everyone is seeking happiness. Everyone is seeking pleasure. It's a thirst. And this thirst, when it is complicated by the false ego, and we think, I am this body, and I am all the designations of this body, and whatever is in, in connection to this body is mine. Then we try to quench this thirst through sense gratification. It may be gross, it may be subtle. Gross is the pleasures to the eyes, to the ears, to the nose, to the tongue, to the skin. The pleasures of sex life, the pleasures of the mind, 
profit, adoration, distinction, accumulation. We're just thirsty for pleasure. And what is the origin of that desire for pleasure? That is the basic principle of spiritual knowledge. Jivera Swarupoy Krishna Mahaprabhu begins his teachings with this. We are the eternal soul. Bhagavad Gita establishes this principle from the very beginning. Najayate mriyate vat kadachya. That the true identity, the true life force within everyone that animates and activates this body and mind is the soul. The soul is Brahman. It is spiritual. Nahanyate hanyamane saride, it never dies. Mamaivam so jivaloke. And the nature of the soul is we are all part of Krishna. And Krishna is Satchit Ananta, eternal, full of knowledge and bliss, and being a part of Krishna. We are eternal. In our liberated state, we are full of knowledge. And most important is Ananda. Because who wants to be eternal and full of knowledge unless you're happy? The whole purpose of being eternal and full of knowledge is ananda. It brings us joy. And the origin of that propensity to joy, to enjoy, is to love Krishna. That is our nature. To feel God's limitless love in our life and to reciprocate with our love. That's the thirst of the soul. To drink the beauty, the sweetness, the charm, the grace of Krishna. And to offer our body, our minds, our life, our everything to Krishna. Bhakti Vinod Thakur prays Manaso deho geho jokichumor arpilum tuvalpati nanda kisho. My body, my home, my family, my my wealth, my everything belongs to you, Krishna. That's love. Ahoitiki apratihata. This most important verse from Srimad Bhagavatam tells that in order to completely satisfy our true self, we must love without motivation and without interrupted. Unconditional love. That is what we are all thirsting for. But forgetful of that, we're trying to quench our thirst in so many ways. And every time we try to quench our thirst 
in any way that is misdirected from our true dharma, the thirst is only aggravated. Trying to put out a fire by putting gasoline on it, petrol, it never works. So Srila Prabhupada quotes from this great poet that this material world and all the temptations and all the distractions for enjoyment, it's like a desert. And Srila Prabhupada goes into a very wonderful explanation of what is a desert. It's a place where there's a lack of water. And when you're in the desert, the desert, in order for things to grow, it needs a large, large volume of water. But this try, whatever the enjoyment it may be, it really doesn't make a difference whether it's becoming a multi-billionaire whether it becomes being a great conqueror and leader with countless people doing whatever you say, or just living in a house and having a cooperative husband or wife, whatever it may be, it's all trying to satisfy our thirst with a drop of water when we've been living in the desert. So this idea of thirst is very important. The analogy of Parikshit Maharaj, the analogy of the Pandavas, and here the analogy of Krishna's own personal associates, his little cowherd boyfriends. They're all bewildered because of this strong pushing of thirst. And it's something we could all relate to. I think everyone here has been in a situation where we are just so thirsty. Nothing else matters. If you're really, seriously thirsty and your mouth is parched and it practically feels like your whole body is parched and your mind is parched. You just have to have water. And if somebody gives you a diamond, <laughs> if someone gives you one crore of rupees, it's paper and you're in the middle of a desert, and you're dying of thirst, what is that going to do for you? You can't, the, the diamond and the rupees are not going to quench your thirst. You need water. And then if somebody comes and says, oh, here's water, I have water for you, come, and they give you one drop, it only aggravates your thirst. 
Nunam Pramata Kurutev it describes that people become mad because of their thirst for happiness, for their thirst for pleasure. And that's what this material world is. People are just going mad. And the people who are the most mad, who will do the craziest things to try to satisfy their desires, they're heroes. In a spiritual society, a hero is one who doesn't need those things. Why? Because they're satisfied within. They're satisfied in bhakti, in the loving service of the Lord, and they're finding the limitless nourishment of Krishna's grace within themselves. And on this path of devotional service, little by little, we start tasting that. So it's very important. That every day, we help to remind each other what will quench our thirst. Because if we don't, then we'll be chasing after the mirages and the drops within the desert of material existence. So the gopas, they were all laying on the banks of this lake, lifeless. And among the acharyas, they have various wonderful explanations of this. One is that Krishna, who's appearing like a loving friend of all these boys, he had so much love and so much compassionate feelings toward them that he expanded himself to embrace each of those boys and wept tears of love for them. Love to see the condition they were in. And when those tears of touched them, they all came completely to life and became blissful. So the water of Kaliya's lake killed them and then the water of the touch of the tears of Lord Govinda brought them back to life. And the most common understanding which is spoken in Srimad Bhagavatam is Krishna simply glanced upon them. Krishna's glance was like a shower, a nectar shower of grace. And he glanced upon every cow and every boy and that nectar awakened them. And in a similar way, really there's no death. Death is forgetfulness. Because the soul is eternal. But when the soul forgets its true identity and identifies as the body, 
and we think there's death. So when we forget our relationship with Krishna, when we forget our eternal, immortal nature, we're more or less spiritually asleep, which is like death. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his message was simple. Chief Jago, wake up. Wake up, sleeping souls. You don't know who you are. You don't know what your real potential is. Be happy. Srila Prabhupada told us to chant and be happy. Because happiness is our nature. We're all looking for happiness. And a compassionate person wants others to be happy. But true happiness. So in our spiritually unconscious condition, when the glance of Krishna's grace comes upon us, it awakens us. And this is the very principle of bhakti, that it is only the grace of Krishna that awakens us to our true blissful nature. Otherwise, we remain unconscious to who we really are and what we really want. And Krishna's love, the glance of Krishna's grace, very much comes through those devotees who have received that grace. In fact, Krishna gives his mercy more through his own devotees than he does directly within the world we live. I was listening to a tape recording of Srila Prabhupada, and he was explaining here in Brindaban, it was a Srimad Bhagavatam class at Krishna Balaram Temple. The nature of a devotee is they want others to be happy. And he spoke from the Srimad Bhagavatam how Draupadi, her five children were killed by Ashwatthama. And Arjuna caught Ashwatthama. And Bhima wanted to kill him because Bhima's a warrior and a Kshatriya and he wanted justice to be done. Draupadi She said, release him. <laughs> Prabhupada's telling this story with much emotion. He said, because Draupadi lost her five sons. And Draupadi understood that Ashwatthama's mother only had one son. Draupadi knew what it was like to lose all her children 
She could not bear Aswatthama's mother feeling the same suffering as herself. And Srila Prabhupada gave this example, Paradukatuki, that this is the nature of a devotee. The more we actually connect with Krishna and feel the happiness of Krishna, the more other people's suffering becomes our suffering and other people's happiness is our happiness. To really care. Yesterday was Srila Prabhupada's disappearance day. We heard many offerings in the morning and in the evening by so many devotees who directly or indirectly had association of Srila Prabhupada. And the majority of the stories that are forever imprinted in these devotees' hearts was Prabhupada's compassion. How Prabhupada cared so much. And how that care transformed their lives. We heard about Srila Prabhupada, the nature of Srila Prabhupada's forgiveness. Inconceivable. We heard about Srila Prabhupada's anger. <laughs> How even his anger, which could become like a thunderbolt, was only because he cared so much to give the right impression on people's minds of how to actually progress in Krishna consciousness. We heard about Srila Prabhupada's joking, his incredible sense of humor, but a sense of humor also, with just to make people happy. His anger was to ultimately make people to happy. Krishna's merciful, loving glance, the glance of his compassion, Karuna Sindhu. In this desert of material existence, the little drops of you know, accumulation of some money or some bodily or physical or mental satisfaction will never satisfy us. They only aggravate us in the course of time. We need karuna sindhu. We need that ocean of compassion. And that ocean of compassion, Krishna, he distributes through those sincere devotees. And we heard from Mandakini Devi yesterday about how Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the Panchatattva, they were tasting the sweet fruits of love of God 
and distributing. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he went to Varanasi, he said, I am a gardener and I have all these fruits of prema bhakti and I want to give them out, but nobody wants them. I'll give them practically for free. And he was asking his devotees, please help me to distribute these fruits. And those who help me to distribute these fruits of love of God, Krishna Prema, will be most dear to me. From those words, we can understand how dear Srila Prabhupada is to Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we are in a spiritually unconscious state to dif different degrees. And it's not just by accumulation of knowledge or performing austerities or giving in charity that we will come back to consciousness. It's only by Krishna's grace. And our seva, our sadhana, if it's done properly with the right disposition as the servant of the servant of the servant, Krishna's pleased. And when Krishna's pleased, he casts his glance upon us and his grace comes through his, through Śrīla Prabhupāda and his devotees. So the gopas came back to consciousness. And then Krishna, in a very playful mood, he dealt with the most horrible apparent situation. I'll begin today's class now. This lake, deep within it, the serpent Kaliya resided. Kaliya was an enormous snake. He had 101 primary heads and a thousand other hoods. And in his body was so much deadly poison that just his breathing was deadly. The water was so filled with poison because he was within it that literally it was boiling. Like that, it was boiling. And the fumes that were coming from that boiling poison If a bird flew overhead, just by breathing, instantly die. And all the trees, all the bushes, everything around it was dead. The only things that could possibly live were his disciples, who were poisonous snakes. 
they would be swimming around. As long as they completely surrendered to him, they could live there. So Kaliya was the most, the most poisonous phenomena that has ever been in this world since the time of Lord Shiva drinking that poison. And here, the water was black with shades of bright red. It was smoking. The water was so full of poison, not only was bubbling, but there was fires just erupting all around it. Can you imagine this ghastly scene? I've seen some of our devotees here in Vrindavan and there's an open sewage and we look at that open sewage and oh, but can you imagine bubbling, boiling, smoking, flames coming out of it. That was the lake. And just all the cows, the countless cows and the countless gopas just by touching it to their lips, they fell dead. Krishna brought them back to life. And then, he very playfully climbed a kadamba tree. It was the only thing alive in the area. This Kadamba tree had been previously blessed by Krishna's devotee, Garuda. And this Kadamba tree was a favorite tree of Krishna because Kadamba grows flowers that has the color that is similar to Sri Radharani's complexion. Yellow, yellow golden color. And anything that reminds Krishna of Sri Radha's love is most dear to him. So the Kadamba tree is a favorite tree to Krishna. So this tree was very favored by Krishna in Vrindavan. So please listen. I hope you're still awake. Because sometimes when we talk about giving up sense gratification, devotees fall asleep. <laughs> or they start thinking of sense gratification. <laughs> but this Kadamba tree was so eager so eagerly awaiting for Krishna, it kept him alive. All the poison, everything else was dead due to the fumes. And what to speak of the fumes, the vapors, and because it was boiling, there was water sprinkling everywhere. Nothing could live. But this Kadamba tree was so much eagerly anticipating and waiting for Krishna to come to climb him that he stayed, that kept him alive. <laughs> <laughs>
through all the various pollutions and difficulties around. And we read the analogy of a lotus flower. Sometimes it grows in even a very muddy, polluted pond and, it, and the leaf and the flower remains spotless and pure. So when we, this Kadamba tree is teaching us when we're eagerly anticipating the opportunity to offer service to Krishna and please Krishna, that could protect us from all the different polluting circumstances that, that may come in our life. Srila Prabhupada emphasized so much the eagerness to serve, the anticipation for the opportunity to please our gurus and Krishna and the Vaishnavas. So that Kadamba tree was standing so tall with full of Kadamba flowers and Kadamba leaves waiting for Krishna and Krishna climbed to the very top of the tree And he, he took off his shawl and tied it around his waist and tightened it. And he raised up his, his golden lower cloth. And then he slapped both of his arms like a person who's about to have a good fight. But he did it in a very playful way. And then, right in front of the gopas and the cows, Krishna, he jumped right into the boiling, polluted, poison lake. And although Krishna was very small, he was not even seven years old. He made such a splash. The splash created great waves. And he especially made a big sound going into the lake because he wanted to get the attention of Kalia. Because nobody dared coming near his abode. And when he heard this massive splash, he was furious. Who has come? No special effects from Hollywood or Bollywood could ever capture the suspense of this scene. Suddenly, this gigantic serpent with hoods emerged from the black bubbling water. His eyes were red with anger. Flames were pouring out of his mouths and his nostrils. And he looked around to see 
who has caused this commotion? And there was Gopal. And Gopal was laughing and smiling and swimming. He's just swimming and splashing, just like a little boy, like a little boy who just learned how to swim. He's just like <laughs> And when Kaliya saw Krishna, his beautiful complexion like a monsoon rain cloud and his lovely lotus-like eyes and his curling hair and his smiling lips which were red like, a, like bimbut fruit and he was just so sweet and he was so happy. And Kalia looked at him and he, he saw the limitless beauty, sweetness, and charm of Krishna. But yet he was approaching Krishna in such an envious, arrogant way that the beauty of Krishna only made him more envious. So it's described, he just gazed at Krishna. Like, what are you doing here? Such a monster. With such unbearable anger. He was looking at Krishna. Wrath. And Krishna was just smiling and laughing. And Krishna was just kept swimming about, completely unaffected by the poison. In fact, Krishna really wanted to make Kaliya angry. So he was teasing him. He was just, what are you going to do to me? You think I care about this poison water? Krishna drank. Like a little boy, and he, he just, with his mouth, he just sucked in all this water, and then, boom, just spit it out. Kali, you think, you think this water is, do you think I'm afraid? Spit it out. And Kali, you got more and more. It was an insult. And suddenly, Do you know what that means? <laughs> Kalia lunged his principal hood with his massive fangs and bit Krishna in the chest. Then wrapped himself around Krishna's body. Krishna's a little tiny boy and Kali was a massive serpent. And Kali's body was so strong, he had Krishna totally wrapped up so that the only thing that could be seen was Krishna's face. And Krishna's eyes were closed. And Kali was squeezing him. Krishna looked like he was dead. He showed no symptoms of life.
the cowherd boys, they were screaming. They couldn't bear to see this. And the cows, and there was some cowherd men, elderly, who were also in the area. They heard the screaming and they came. And they gazed at Krishna in the coils of this enormous, monstrous snake in the middle of a bubbling, boiling lake of poison. And Krishna appeared lifeless. The boys cried. They cried. And it became so unbearable, every single one of the cowherd boys fainted unconscious. They just could not live seeing the Prananath, the Lord, the beloved of their life in such a condition. The Brijavasis live for Krishna. How could they live when they see Krishna apparently dead in the coils of a serpent? So they laid unconscious and the cows were weeping and crying and the peacocks and the parrots and the monkeys and the bees and all the animals of the forest that were around, they all came and when they saw Krishna in that state, in their own voices, they were all crying, helplessly. It was millions of times worse than any pain or death to their hearts. At that time, by Krishna's own will, his Yogamaya potency created inauspicious conditions in the atmosphere, on the land, in the air, and in the bodies. In the land, there was earthquakes, and jackals started howling at the sun. In the sky, there were meteors falling, and the sun, because as we were saying, it was the middle of the summer, and it was around noontime, the sun looked dark. And people's bodies, men in the left side, women in the right side, were throbbing and trembling uncontrollably. And why did Krishna produce these inauspicious signs? Because he wanted all the Brijabhasis from the whole of Brajadam to come to see him dance. So Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda back at, the, at their homes when they, when they saw all these inauspicious apparent situations They become very afraid. 
And all the cowherd men and all the gopis came to Nanda and Yashoda with the same question. Because their life and soul was Krishna. Everyone was only thinking of Krishna's happiness, Krishna's pleasure, Krishna's well-being. So they asked Nanda Maharaj, is Balaram with Krishna today? Because they know as long as Balaram is there, there really couldn't be too much problem with Krishna because Balaram was so happy to do heroic deeds. And Balaram was Krishna's dear most friend and brother, but he was also older, slightly. So he was always protecting Krishna. When they found out that Balaram is home, they felt completely helplessly crippled with worry for Krishna. Sanatana Goswami tells, for a devotee, there's only one thing that creates auspiciousness. And that's Krishna's mercy. The only real cause of auspiciousness for a Vaishnava is Krishna's mercy. And that is why Srimad Bhagavatam tells the supreme auspicious of all activities is that which invokes Krishna's mercy. And in this age, that is the chanting of his holy name. They were so much worried. And everything just seemed to be coming more and more um, dangerous. Where is Krishna? Everyone left their homes to search for Krishna, to see if he was all right. The only way to find Krishna was his footprints. So they began to search for Krishna's little footprints. And Vrindavan was such a place that everyone loved Krishna and honored his footprints so much. It was the ornament of Brajbhumi was Krishna's footprints. So no cow, no cowherd boy, no deer, no peacock, not even the monkeys. Nobody would ever step on Krishna's footprints. It was Krishna. It was Krishna's grace. So they were following the little footprints. And the worry was so much because of all these meteors and earthquakes and something was happening in their hearts that made them so worried that Krishna might, the only reason we could be feeling this way is Krishna is either in danger or is dead. That's what everyone was feeling. 
Krishna awakened that thought in them. And everyone left their homes. Every gopa, every gopi, the young, the old, even the children, little tiny children who never in their whole life at this point had entered into the forest. Whether they were running, whether they were crawling, or if they couldn't even crawl, their mother was taking them with them, nobody stayed behind. Everybody was weeping, following the little footprints of Krishna. And Krishna made it so exciting. They'd follow his footprints, and then they'd come to a grassy area where there was no footprints. And they're searching frantically. Everybody's looking, trying to... And if anybody saw a footprint, they'd tell everybody else, I, I found one, I found one. They're looking, nobody could find any footprints. There's grass or there's rocks. And then they'd find a little footprint in the dust. You see, you're all coughing because of the dust, but they were looking for the dust because that's where Krishna's footprints could be seen. And they went deeper and deeper into the forest through the pasture grounds. And our beloved Acharyas tell that Nanda Maharaj Yashoda, the gopas, the gopis, the young ones, the old ones, everyone, they're searching, searching. And how were they searching? They were in such a state of consciousness that they'd fall down unconscious, they'd get back up so worried for Krishna. It took a long time. And plus, Krishna specially made it dramatic. Because that day, he didn't just take his friends there, to the Yamuna's lake. He took his friends in all different directions, in all different forests, and played so many games, so they were going all over the place, trying to find Krishna. And finally, after a long time of this frantic, dramatic search, they came to the lake, Kaliyada. And there, what did they see? The first thing that Nanda and Yashoda and all of the gopas and gopis saw was all the cowherd boys unconscious. Some of them, the only state of conscious they had was they were just crying. And they saw the animals crying. And sometimes a little gopa would come up to consciousness, cry, and fall unconscious again. That's what they see. Why? And then they looked in the lake, and they saw this bubbling, dark, thick poison. And in the center of that, there's a horrible monster of a many-hooded serpent. And in its enormous coils, they could see little Krishna's face with his eyes closed. 
Balaram, the whole time everyone was looking for Krishna. The whole time they were being um, terrified by the inauspicious omens. He was laughing out loud. The reason he was laughing, one, is because he was keeping them alive. Because they were so worried about Krishna. They, there was no way they could live in that state. So he was laughing really loud the whole time because Balaram loves Krishna so much and if Balaram's laughing, there must be some hope in all of this. So there was, he was creating a very mystical balance. And also he was thinking, in my incarnation of Sheshanaga, Krishna never plays with me. And now Krishna is playing with this insignificant, mundane little water snake named Kaliya. Balaram understood the supreme power of Krishna and understood the mind of Krishna. So he was laughing. And he kept laughing when everybody was falling unconscious seeing Krishna in the serpent. And Yashoda Mai, she wasn't thinking intellectually, she was just only thinking, I must be there with my Gopal. He's in the clutches of this serpent. I will go and be with him. And she rushed to enter into the water. And the other elderly gopis who were suffering as much as her, because all the elderly gopis loved Krishna just like Yashodamai loved Krishna. They held Yashoda back. She was struggling. She didn't think whether the water's poison or not poison didn't make any difference to her. She just had to be there with Krishna for him. They were holding her back. And they were weeping, crying, tears. And Yashodamai would fall unconscious and try to get back in the water and they'd hold her back. And the only way they could pacify her was singing Krishna's pastimes. That Krishna will be all right. Putana. They'd, tell, they'd sing the story of how Krishna was taken away by Putana and still he was saved. And then he was taken away. And then the great Sakatasura, the cart, fell. And Krishna was saved. And Trinavarta, that great whirlwind picked up Krishna, and Krishna was saved. And the Arjuna trees fell on both sides, and Krishna was saved. And there was Bakasura, and there was Batsasura so many times. Krishna always gets saved. Yashodamai, have no fear. Krishna will be all right. He will be saved. And they'd be singing these things, and it would just be enough to keep Yashodamai alive and out of the water. And while they were singing this, they were weeping and crying. And even the gopis 
They'd be singing it, but then they could not bear seeing Krishna, and they'd fall unconscious, and they had to keep taking turns to keep each other out of the water. And in this way, the elderly gopis, they were all trying to save each other by chanting Krishna's pastimes. And the gopas, Nanda Maharaj, Upananda, Abhinanda, Sunanda, Nandana, they all wanted to just rush in the water. But Balaram, he expanded himself for every single cowherd man and stood in front of them and forcibly stopped them from going in the water. And the gopis, the young gopis, seeing Krishna in this condition, it was unbearable. Sunyayatam jagat sarvam govinda virahename. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gives us this verse. Yugayatam nameshena chakshusha prabhrishayatam sunyayatam jagat sarvam govinda virahename. That a moment in separation of Krishna, a nimesh, a fraction of the time it takes for the eyebrow to involuntarily blink, it's that amount of time in separation from Krishna seems like a yuga. To make it understandable to us, Prabhupada says 12 years or more, and a yuga is a lot more. Bereft of the vision of Govinda, the whole world is a dreary void. Sridharani and the Braja Gopis, they had given their life to Krishna. Their, their body, their minds, their souls, everything belonged to Krishna. Everything for was the pleasure of Krishna. Just the night before, Krishna was glancing upon them. Krishna was smiling upon them. Krishna was speaking sweet words that was charming their hearts. They had given their hearts, their lives, their everything only for Krishna. Krishna was their life. They were... The soul is Brahman. Aham Brahmasmi. There's nothing more dear to a person in this world than, than, the, than their own soul. Their Atma. Because that's our life. Without our life, we can't love anyone. We can't find any happiness. We can't have any relationships. That's our conception. So the soul is so dear to a person's life. But more dear than the soul is the Paramatma, the super soul. And more dear than the super soul is Bhagavan, Krishna, the supreme soul. This was the gopis. They were completely liberated souls. 
They were totally beyond any materialistic bodily conception of life. Their bodies, their, their, their senses, their minds were totally spiritually beyond liberation in the state of the highest ecstatic love. And in that state, the pain, the unbearable pain of seeing Krishna in that situation should not be seen as anything mundane. It's actually staged by Krishna to give them the experience of the highest possible absorption in spiritual ecstasy. When we feel pain for anything of this temporary world, pain is pain, especially the loss of something or someone that we love. But when that objective is Krishna, that pain is ananda, because it's on this spiritual platform beyond death and beyond suffering. Suffering is ecstasy, and suffering in that ecstatic state is only meant to give us a deeper absorption in our love for Krishna. The gopis, how did they stay alive? Only by Krishna's mercy. They were seeing him apparently dead, lifeless in the coils of Kaliya. He wasn't glancing upon them. He wasn't smiling upon them. They saw out of compassion. They weren't just thinking of themselves. They understood Krishna's Priyatama. He's the supreme beloved of everyone. He's the soul of the universe. He's the soul of all living beings. If Krishna's dead, everything and everyone in the entire universe is going to suffer and die. They were feeling total compassion for all living beings by seeing Krishna in this state. Because Krishna is the heart, the root of everything that exists. If you, just, if you kill the root of a tree, every part of the tree is dead. That is their realization as they looked upon Krishna and uncontrollably cried and cried and cried. As Balaram left, the cows, the calves, the animals, the babies, the elder gopis and gopas, the younger ones, everyone was falling unconscious, coming back to consciousness, weeping. Balaram was keeping the men out. The women were trying to keep each other out. The water was boiling, and Kaliya was squeezing Krishna. And Kaliya was sure that Krishna was dead. What a scene. Krishna staged it all. Just to increase everyone's 
love. And sometimes when there's contrast, it makes, um, it makes things so much more exciting. Just like if you're really hungry, then when you get a nice feast that Goranga Prabhu and his team makes, then you enjoy it even more. Yes. <laughs> Let us thank Goranga Prabhu and the whole kitchen crew for their wonderful facade. Whatever I said in the lecture today was only preparing for that moment. <laughs> and let us thank Sanat Kumar Prabhu and Baladev Prabhu and the whole team for organizing this whole yatra. So where there's hunger, there's more relish when we eat wonderful Mahaprasad. And similarly, when there's separation, there's a special quality in meeting. So Krishna staged this wonderful event in such a way that he was in the coils of Kalia for about two hours. And for the Brijabhasis who were seeing Krishna in that state, every moment was like millions of years of pain. The pain of ecstatic love for Krishna. So it came to the point where they were suffering so piteously. They were crying and crying. They all just wanted to jump in those waters and just give their lives to help Krishna. And if Krishna's dead, they didn't want to live anymore. When it came to a crescendo of spiritual emotion, Krishna understood the Vrindavasis can't live any longer. So he did something that nobody could see because he was totally covered by the coils of Kaliya. 
he began to expand his body. Kalia had supernatural strength. He was trying to crush little Krishna, and Krishna was expanding his body, and Kali was trying to hold him, and ultimately Krishna expanded, expanded. Nobody could see what was going on. He still had his eyes closed. They all thought he was still unconscious, except Kaliya. And Kaliya thought he was dead until he started growing and growing. And if there was this competition between them, and finally Kaliya was about to burst because he just couldn't keep Krishna in his coils, and his coil loosened. Krishna opened his eyes, and he smiled, <laughs> and he slipped out of Kaliya's coils and jumped in the water. Kaliya understood at this moment that Krishna is extremely powerful. Otherwise, he could have never lived through that and escaped what I have done. So he looked, he gazed at Krishna with so much anger. Snakes, their tongues go into two parts. Kaliya's all of his hoods were raised very high, and his tongues were flittering in and out of his mouth, licking his lips. And Kali was so angry that his red eyes were practically flames, unblinkingly gazing at Krishna, all his eyes. And he was so angry that fire was flying out of his nostrils and his mouth. He just gazed at Krishna. And Krishna was swimming around again. But as Krishna was swimming, with unblinking eyes, he was gazing at Kaliya's eyes. It was eye to eye. Kaliya flung at Krishna to bite him again. And Krishna just, he was in the water, half submerged, swimming. But he was swimming so fast that when Kaliya, Krishna just went, and Kaliya just missed him by a hair. And Kaliya had all these different hoods, and all the hoods were simultaneously trying to attack Krishna. And every time he, <laughs> Krishna would just go, <laughs> and he'd just miss him. And Krishna was going in circles, and Kaliya kept attacking and attacking and attacking, and Krishna was going in all directions, and Kaliya just couldn't bite him. And Krishna was smiling the whole time, just looking right at Kaliya's eyes. And Krishna was going in circles, and Kaliya was going circles, and Krishna would do 180 degrees, one side, another side, Kaliya was going one side, other side, and every time, <laughs> Krishna would just, just, just barely 
just by missing by just by just molecules. And Krish, Kali was becoming more and more angry, and Krishna was looking at him and smiling and saying, he was pointing to different parts of his body, try to bite me here. <laughs> here, bite me in the chest, bite me in, on the arm, bite me on the cheek. He, would just, he wasn't saying anything, he was just pointing, like, come, come, come and get me. And this was making Kali a really ferocious, and the poor Brijabhasis, they're watching this. Krishna again, and Krishna would just move. And this was going on for a long time. Kaliya was attacking, attacking, attacking. Krishna was going in circles, going all around. And finally, after hours, Kaliya was exhausted. He couldn't even hardly lunge at Krishna anymore. Krishna just made him so tired just by moving around so fast. And by make, not only did he move around so fast, but he always made it so Kaliya could think that next time I'll get him. <laughs> and Krishna looked so vulnerable. And the Brijabhasis were watching this. They were horrified. Except for Balaram. Kaliya, at this time, he was exhausted physically, but his anger was stronger than ever. Every time he lunged at Krishna to bite him, to sting him, to eat him, every time he missed, Kaliya's ego was becoming more and more agitated. And his anger was fuming higher and higher. And now he was at the peak of his anger and is in an exhausted state. And Krishna made waves. He just splashed the water. It's described that when Krishna was making waves in that poisonous lake of Kaliya, first of all, when Krishna entered into the lake, it wasn't even poison anymore, because Krishna purified it. Everyone thought it was poison, but actually Krishna purified it. Krishna is all pure. But he would make waves so small. Any, any part of his body could do anything. Krishna's littlest toe could make bigger turbulence in the water than a thousand mad elephants. So Krishna was just playing, and he made a big wave. You've seen in the West, even now I see it in India, people do surfing, where they try to ride on waves. Well, Krishna's the origin of everything. He made a wave, and then he rode on that wave, 
And that wave went right up to one of Kalia's heads, and Kalia took, and Krishna took his hand and pushed down the hood of Kalia and jumped on top of it. And Kalia rose that hood, he raised that hood way, way high up in the sky. And there Krishna started to move around. And Kalia was so humiliated that he's on top of my head. <laughs> and with a thousand hoods, he was trying to attack Krishna on one hood. And Krishna would just, he would just move around. And as he was moving around, gradually, it became a dance. <laughs> Krishna started dancing. And when he started dancing, he was so blissful, smiling, and he was looking at the Brijabhasi saying, look, I'm dancing on the hood of this snake. And Kaliya's hoods were very big, so there was a lot of space to dance. <laughs> and when he started dancing, the demigods who feared Kaliya, they wanted to participate because nothing like this has ever happened. Nowhere in any of the Puranas do we find a pastime of any avatar of Vishnu or any manifestation of Krishna or God doing something like this. Usually when great, great demons Hiranyakashipu, Hiranyaksha, Ravana, Kumbhakarna, there's fighting. But Krishna's dancing. <laughs> and Kaliya was as powerful as any of these others. And Krishna's dancing on his head. So Narada Muni came down and started playing his veena. And Indra brought from Swargaloka a murdanga. <laughs> Indra's playing murdanga. Narada Muni's playing veena. And then the Gandharvas started coming down and singing. And Brahma and Shiva. And Shiva has that special drum that goes. <laughs> what do they call those drums? Yes, you know. <laughs> and he dances when that drum is played. Well, he was playing that. And all the demigods were playing so many different instruments. And Krishna was dancing in perfect rhythm. Such a dance no one has ever seen. Kaliya's hoods were slippery. And they were moving around violently. And there were hundreds of hoods attacking while he was dancing on one hood. And Krishna's dancing. And it was so sweet and so beautiful. And Krishna looked like he was having so much fun that the Brijabhasis, it was a festival. And the music coming from the heavenly worlds was so wonderful. They were keeping rhythm to Krishna's dancing and Krishna was keeping rhythm to their playing. And the demigods, every time Krishna would do something, at every moment he was doing incredible dance steps that have never been seen before in either the heavenly or the earthly worlds. 
And they were showering flowers upon Krishna. He was dancing. And the cowherd boys, they became really happy because they saw Krishna so happy. They were playing their flutes and they were playing their buffalo horns. And just the way Krishna was dancing, all the gopas were dancing just like Krishna, trying to be just like him. They were dancing with him. And the gopis, <laughs> everyone was just enjoying in their heart of hearts, they were dancing with Krishna. And Nanda, Yashoda, the elder gopas and gopis, they were having a wonderful time, but it was mixed. Because, yes, they're seeing Krishna dancing so beautifully and so blissfully, but still, Kaliya, he might bite him, or he might get him in his coils again, or he might devour him. So they were blissfully worried. This went on for many hours. Krishna danced. And his dancing, he was so absorbed because Krishna is the source of everything that exists. Everything emanates from Krishna. Janmadhyasyagyataha. So all the arts, all the sciences, all knowledge, all abilities, everything has its origin, its perfection, and its total fullness in Krishna. And just as Krishna speaks in Bhagavad Gita, all of the opulences and wonderful things in this entire creation is but a spark of my splendor. So all the artistic skills of all the various cultural arts throughout the universe, throughout history, put them all together. And they're not even a spark of Krishna's loving, beautiful, supreme artistic pastimes. What was the beauty of Krishna's dance? Later on, he would dance with gopis. Every day he would dance with the gopas. But this was such a transcendentally incredible manifestation of his dancing. He was dancing on the heads of the cruelest, most envious, violent monster in the world, Kaliya, who was doing everything within his power to kill Krishna. But Krishna got so absorbed in dancing to please the Brijabhasis. He didn't care so much about the demigods. The demigods were playing instruments, but for Krishna, it was all for the pleasure of the residents of Vrindavan. And as Krishna would dance, everything was so perfect. At the end of a particular rhythm, like do 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 like that. <laughs> Every time one of Kalia's hoods with their massive razor sharp fangs filled with limitless poison came and lunged at Krishna, it always happened at the end of the beat. <laughs> and Krishna with his foot would just kick it down. 
It's like, do, 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 do. Every time Kali attacked him, it would always be at the end of the beat, and that end beat, Krishna would kick it, kick that head, and knock it right down. For Kaliya, Krishna seemed to be heavy as a mountain, heavy as a universe. Every time Krishna touched his foot on Kaliya's head, it was like a thunderbolt <laughs> smashing his head. But Krishna's feet were moving so fast. And every now and then, Krishna was dancing in so many ways. He was going in circles. His feet were just going with the rhythm. And sometimes he'd go high up into the sky. He'd jump up and they'd come down and completely crush that hood of Kaliya. Should I continue? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Poor Kaliya. <laughs> He's so fortunate. Krishna's dancing on his heads, but he's suffering and suffering. He's not. A, everyone is enjoying except him. Yeah, what Krishna was doing to him, each one of his heads, one by one, as Krishna danced on it, it became completely devastated. Not only was he crushing it, but he was ripping it apart. Krishna would dance in such a way that the skin on, on Kaliya's head was just being ripped off and ripped to pieces, and he was bleeding. It was really a massively, beautifully horrible scene. All hundred and one heads, all thousand heads. Krishna danced on all of them. And Kaliya came to the point where he was so exhausted, he was so devastated that from all of his mouths, massive quantities of the most terrible poison was pouring out. I'm not going to try to make that sound. <laughs> Just poison gushing out of his mouths. And after all the poison in his whole system was exhausted, all that was left was blood. He was vomiting blood. Still, his eyes were red with anger. Hope against hope, he wouldn't give up his determination to kill Krishna. And Krishna kept dancing and dancing and kicking one head and another head until every single one of Kaliya's hoods 
was collapsed, it was crushed, it was ripped apart. And when all his poison left him, all his arrogance left him also. He was on the verge of death. He was totally helpless, hopeless, defeated. His arrogance, his false pride was dead. He couldn't say a word because he had no strength. But at that moment, he looked at Krishna. Gone were his red, hot, arrogant, envious, cruel eyes. Now he gazed upon Krishna like a saint with affection, with love, with total humility, with a shyness, with a shame. He was looking upon Krishna taking shelter. That happened because when he understood that there was no hope in his life, he was humiliated and defeated. Something came from his heart. He remembered the words of his wives, the Nagapatnis. The Nagapatnis were very great pure devotees of Krishna. They loved Krishna. And they used to tell Kaliya about the glories of Krishna. And Krishna, he couldn't, he was so envious, so arrogant, he couldn't tolerate anybody getting respected ex except himself. This is the nature of envy. We don't like to hear other people praised. Especially when somebody's being praised about something that you're good at. Then it's most painful. But a devotee is everyone's well-wisher. A devotee feels joy when someone else is getting Krishna's mercy, when someone else is being empowered. A devotee is overjoyed when somebody else is doing something great for Krishna. So Kaliya, he hated Krishna. But when he was in a completely helpless state, he remembered the words and he remembered the bhakti of his wives, that Krishna is the Supreme Lord. And then he understood it. And he looked at Krishna taking shelter. He was Trinada Bhisunichena. He was now more humble than a blade of grass. And it was at that moment, as he was gazing upon Krishna, and Krishna was gazing upon him, that the Nagapatnis, they appeared.
and they prayed to Krishna. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains the Nagapatnis at one point when Kali was trying to kill Krishna, the Nagapatnis were thinking, please Krishna, kill him. <laughs> but when they saw he became humble, their affection grew so great that they came to beg Krishna to save him. It was their prayers, it was their devotion that totally transformed Kaliya. They prayed to Lord Krishna that first they put their little children in front of them just to show that we're all going to be widows and they're going to be without a father unless you save him. And they brought beautiful gifts for Krishna. And they offered prayers. Many pages of Srimad Bhagavatam are ornamented, filled with the loving prayers of the Nagapatnis. That our dear husband is so supremely fortunate. You did not punish him, Krishna. You blessed him. Brahma, Shiva, Lakshmi, all the great devatas and sages, and they are all seeking to get the dust of your lotus feet, the most precious of all treasures in all of existence. And you're dancing so many millions of steps of your lotus feet on the hoods of my, of our, on the head of our husband. How fortunate he is. How totally purified he has become. This is your great mercy. Due to his conditioning of being born in this body of Kaliya as a venomous snake, He's envious, he's arrogant, that's his nature. But you have danced upon him. And by your dancing upon him with the purifying effect of your lotus feet, you have shown such mercy that now look, he's completely purified. All his false pride and arrogance is gone. He's gazing upon you to surrender. Please spare him. Please give him your mercy. Give him your love. No one is more fortunate than our Kaliya. Krishna heard their words. And Kaliya heard their words. And then he spoke. He said to Krishna, you, now I understand you are the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Lord of all lords, my eternal master. Due to my conditioning, I have acted in so many terrible ways, but I'm now taking shelter of you. Kaliya more or less spoke what he heard the Nagapatni speak. He repeated those prayers in his own way. He said, my Lord, now, because of all of my misdeeds and all of my atrocities, 
You may punish me or do anything you want with me, but I surrender to you and I speak shelter with you. He didn't ask, save me. He didn't ask, make me healthy again. Please understand, at that point, he was completely ripped to shreds. He was bleeding all over the place. He was finished. Krishna, unconditionally, I'm surrendering to you. I take shelter of you. Do whatever you like with me. Maro birago bijo icha tohar nitya dasa pratitua adhikar. Takur Bhakti Vinod prays, My Lord, if you want, you can protect me, or you want, you can, if, you, if it pleases you, kill me. Do anything you want with me, because I'm your servant unconditionally. Mahaprabhu prayed, Ashlisya Vapada, that, My Lord, if you want, you may embrace me. If you want, you can trample upon me. Or if you like, you can make me broken-hearted by not being present before me. You have... Do anything you want. I am your servant unconditionally. This was the spirit of the surrender of Kaliya. Two things made this possible. His association with his wives, the Nagapatnis, and their prayers for his, for his well-being, and Krishna's inconceivable, incredible mercy upon him. He was happy. Upon seeing the genuine, pure-hearted surrender of Kaliya, Krishna restored him again to perfect health instantly. Well, he was beautiful. Everything was the same except he didn't have any poison. He didn't have any envy. He didn't have any arrogance. Now he was a very healthy, effulgent devotee. And Krishna told Kaliya, now you are my devotee, and I give you complete shelter. But you shouldn't stay in Vrindavan any longer. Because people here are afraid to come to this lake now because you have been here. I want my Brijabhasis to enjoy. So you should take all your family and go back to your home. Because his home was from Ramanaka, which was an island in the ocean. And Krishna said, because the imprints of my lotus feet are upon your head, Garuda and no one else could ever harm you. And previously during this battle, Krishna's lotus feet were tearing apart the tops of his heads. But now everything healed and, his, and Krishna's lotus footprints were Beautiful, beautiful, like deities on top of his head. 
and Kali and all of his children and all the Nagapatnis offer beautiful flowers and, and, and jewels and garments to Krishna. Our tongue is something like a snake, the way it moves around. It's interesting. I'm not going to give you an anatomy class because I'm not qualified to do that. But of all parts of the body, wherever there's bending, there's joints. Yes, the fingers, there's joints. There's bones and then there's joints and the joints bend. So there's the back spine, there's joints that bend. It's only the tongue that completely curl up and bend in so many ways without any joints. It's just complete bending. Like a snake. Snakes just slither around and they go into coils. Rupa Goswami, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, all of our Acharya, Srila Prabhupada, they taught us that to control the senses and engage in Krishna's service, it begins with the tongue. Begins with the ears by hearing, and then it's manifested on the tongue. And if you could control your tongue, you can control all your other senses. The tongue has two capabilities, to taste and to vibrate. Yesterday we heard Shutikirti Prabhu speak from this stage and he explained how one thing that Srila Prabhupada did not like. In fact, Srila Prabhupada wouldn't tolerate was gossip. And Shutikirti Prabhu what he said, Prabhupada would rarely use the word prajalpa. He would say gossip. That means finding faults with others, needlessly. If there's really genuinely a productive purpose in doing so, then that, that's not gossip. But in almost every case that we think that's the case, it is gossip. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, at one time, it was in Kuliagram. When Mahaprabhu took sannyas and came, he left Navadweep, became sannyasi, and then several years later he came back to Navadweep. And many people who had offended him and offended his devotees were coming to surrender to him. And one Brahman, a Brahman said to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that I have, I have insulted your devotees so many times. And obviously for a Brahman to insult devotees, it's not just what he's considering frivolous. He's obviously thinking that based on Shastra and based on my Brahminical wisdom, I must expose this person. 
But after, he, after that person got the mercy of the Lord, he understood, what have I done? I have offended so many of your devotees. Now I'm surrendering to you. Please give me instruction. And Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, criticizing others is like poison. And praising the good qualities of devotees is like nectar. So stop, do not criticize others with your tongue. Chant the holy names of Krishna, chant the glories and pastimes and teachings of Krishna, and chant the glories of Krishna's devotees and find the good in others. And at one point, Mahaprabhu said something very profound. He said, do two things and I'll take you back to Godhead. Don't criticize others and chant the names of Krishna. So sometimes we have like a snake-like tongue that's like Kali and wants to attack other people and criticize other people and find faults in other people. But if somehow or other, Krishna, who's not different than his name, Krishna is not different than his pastimes, if we chant the names of Krishna, chant the glories of Krishna, Rupa Goswami said, Krishna is dancing on our tongue as he danced on Kali's hoods. He will dance on our tongue. And gradually by this chanting, we get purified. By chanting the holy names and not offending others, Vaishnava Parada is the first offense to the holy name, the greatest impediment. If we just chant and stop gossiping and criticizing, then Krishna dances on our tongue when we chant, and gradually we become purified. But sometimes that purification is not easy. Like Kaliya, poisons came out. Sometimes it appears when we're following the process even carefully that a lot of things about us just start coming out and, and we don't like it. Envy and greed and arrogance and desires. But just keep chanting. Keep following these regulative principles of freedom that Srila Prabhupada has given us. And gradually the poison comes out. We become purified. And then in that, as we become purified, we become like Kaliya, genuinely humble. And from the core of our hearts, we can take shelter of Krishna as he's dancing on our tongue in the form of his holy names. Many hundreds of times louder, please. Many millions of times louder.
Many, many billions of times louder, please. Trillions and quadrillions and quintatrillion times louder, please. <laughs>
And Krishna laughed with him. And Yashodamai, Rohini Devi, Nanda Maharaj, they just gazed upon Krishna and fed him and embraced him. Everyone was greeting Krishna according to their own natures. And the Brahmins, the Brahmins were coming and giving blessings to Krishna, chanting mantras for his protection. And the Brahmins went to Nanda Maharaj and said that because of the blessings of Vishnu, Krishna has been saved. And to get the blessings of Vishnu for further protection, you should give charity to the Brahmins. That's what the Brahmins told Nanda Maharaj. <laughs> Nanda Maharaj gave the Brahmins cows and jewels and so many charities and everyone was happy. But because it was such a suspenseful day and everybody was out of reach of Krishna because he was in that lake all day dancing and in the coils and swimming, they all just wanted to be with Krishna. They couldn't give up his association. So they decided, let's just take rest tonight on the banks of the Yamuna. Because by this time it had become dark. And gazing upon Krishna in the presence of Krishna, all the gopis and all the gopas and all the cows and all the calves and all the brahmins and everybody, the peacocks, the parrots, everyone was going to spend the whole night with Krishna in the forest. And they all went to sleep. But Vrindavan Leela is full of sweetness and then extraordinary challenges which make things sweeter. The moon, the stars, the cuckoo birds, Kokila, they're all singing and the bees are humming and the jasmines are blowing and the river Yamuna with all its lotus flowers, beautiful fragrances, oh, it's, it's millions and billions of times beyond heaven, the pleasure of Vrindavan as they fell asleep together. Suddenly, they woke up. There was a fire surrounding them on all four sides. The fire was like impenetrable thick walls, and they were reaching the clouds in the sky, practically reaching the stars. It was a massive fire, because it was summertime. Fires happen in the summer. <laughs> but this fire, it was like a demoniac fire, and it was on the verge of totally burning everything and everyone to ashes. And the Brijabhasis who had just blessed Krishna. <laughs> they all looked at Krishna as their only shelter. Krishna, your cows are in distress, and so are we. <laughs> Please give us shelter so that we can serve you. That was it. Krishna just went. <laughs> he just inhaled one time and the entire fire went into his mouth and into his body and disappeared forever. That is Krishna.
Samsara Davanala Viratoka. Every morning we sing this song that this material existence is like a blazing forest fire. But by Krishna's mercy, what's coming through Srila Prabhupada and our gurus, that forest fire can be extinguished. Only the mercy of Krishna. Krishna tells his material existence it's very difficult. But if one takes shelter of me, this blazing fire of material existence is extinguished. And how do we take shelter of Krishna? By taking shelter of Krishna's representatives who are acting on behalf of Krishna. Just as the Brijavasis, when they went to find Krishna, they were following Krishna's footprints. And were taught, Lord Chaitanya, Mahajano Yena Gatasapanta, the path to Krishna is to follow the footprints of those who are surrendering to Krishna. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he tells how each of these asuras or demons or obstacles represent a particular um, impediment to pure devotional service. Kaliya represents envy, arrogance, and the cruelty that comes out of the heart when one falls victim to envious and arrogance. When people are cruel, that's just a manifestation of arrogance and envy. That's Kaviya. But by taking shelter of Krishna and chanting Krishna's holy names and following the footprints of those who love Krishna, one can conquer Kaliya within us. And that blazing fire that was about to destroy the whole Brijabasi community he proclaims that that fire represents conflict among Vaishnavas. Conflict within Vaishnav community is like a blazing fire. And here in Brindaban at Radha Kund, Srila Prabhupada was with his Guru Maharaj, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada. And Bhakti Siddhanta Prabhupada, he said to our Prabhupada that the mat is on fire. that the devotees are fighting and quarreling with one another over position, over influence, over facilities. 
He said, this fire will burn the mat. The mat, the mat is on fire. And that's the time when Srila Prabhupada said, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada, that now we have this beautiful temple and people are fighting over who has charge, who has managerial positions, who has different facilities and rooms. Better we do away with it and distribute books. He said, if you ever get money, publish and distribute books. And Prabhupada took that order as his life and soul. But Srila Prabhupada also built temples. And we heard yesterday from Brajvilas Prabhu about his wonderful appeal for the temple of the Vedic planetarium. Because from 1971, Srila Prabhupada was talking about how he wanted that temple of Vedic planetarium built in Mayapur Dham. And he put so much of his life and energy into building temple in Mumbai for Radha Rasbihari and Brindaban for Radha Shamsundar Krishna Balaram and Gornitai. So Prabhupada had temples. And he had book distribution. And he had prasad distribution. But this message was very important. We should be very much aware that we're not creating a fire that will burn down our Guru Maharaja's mat. By inner communal Vaishnav quarrel and fighting. We can disagree, but disagreements should be done with respect for Vaishnav culture. We're not politicians. We're Vaishnavas. That is what Srila Prabhupada expects of us. Today, I was planning to tell so many stories, but I ended up just telling one story. <laughs> I'm sorry if I went over time, but I'm very grateful to you. I hope and I pray that everyone is enjoying becoming inconceivably mystically and wonderfully purified on this Vrindavan Yatra.